This is Wrestling Nostalgia with Dave Dynasty. Greetings and welcome to Wrestling Nostalgia. I am your host, Dave Dynasty. Thank you for joining us for another episode. We have a good one today. We have author Tim Hornbaker on. Uh, we'll be talking to him in just a little bit. His new book, The Last World Champion, The Legacy of Nature Boy Ric Flair, is now available, just freshly out, and you can find that in all uh, book retailers, uh, in brick and mortar stores, and online like Amazon, etc. Go check that out and get yourself a copy. Uh, before we get to that, let's talk about, uh, well, really just one piece of news item. And I'm not going to talk about it much because everybody in the world is talking about it to the to death. Uh, as we all know, CM Punk was fired from AEW on September 2nd. And again, I'm not going to go too in-depth to this. I, I wasn't there, obviously. Uh, there's two sides to every story, and there's probably two interpretations to each of those sides, etc., etc., etc. But let me just let me just say this: um, if if some of the information that's out there is true, I feel like I don't know. I feel like this might have been a little extreme. I don't I don't feel like the threat was what is being perceived or being portrayed. I feel like uh, Jack Perry should have maybe got some punishment in this as well. But again, I wasn't there. I don't know the situation. And it is Tony Khan's company, and he has the right to do what he feels is appropriate for that. Uh, I can say that I am personally disappointed. Uh, I'm not what I would call an AEW fan at all. I don't watch regularly. I don't watch all their programming. I just watch bits and pieces and clips. But uh, I was definitely had an interest in CM Punk being back in wrestling. And I believe CM Punk being back in wrestling is a good thing. Um there's obviously a lot of speculation that Punk in the future, uh, within you know the next several months or so, will be back in WWE. I don't know, right? I, I just don't know. And there's so much going on in WWE with their uh, buyout and their merger into the new company with with UFC, et cetera, et cetera. Who who knows what's going to happen? Uh, but you know, I I think I think it's just a disappointing end to this run. In AEW for Punk, because I think it really could have been great. I think it really could have been good. I think there's a lot more they could have done creatively that would have been pretty cool. Uh, but you know what? It's it is what it is. It's a business. It's wrestling. Wrestling's wacky and things happen. And this is this is where it's at. I think you know. Hey, everybody's going to march on. Everybody's going to live. Everybody's going to move on with their lives. And uh, it's it's definitely not the end of the world. But it is it, I, from at least from my perspective a little disappointing. Uh, but you know, I'm not losing any sleep over it. Uh, so there you have it. That's that's my two bits. For whatever it's worth, I know, again, the whole world's talking this thing to death. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Like I said, I'm not losing sleep over it. But, uh, and I'm not what I would say, you know, again, I'm not an AEW fan. So it's not that it impacts me that greatly. I am a CM Punk fan. I will say that. I do enjoy his work. Uh, but, you know, went years without seeing anything new. So if uh go a little bit longer or if that's it for him, whatever. It's cool. I'm good. So uh, that's it. That's my bit on that. So let's move on. And take a quick break. And then, like I said, when we come back, we'll have that interview with author Tim Hornbaker. So hang in there. If you like horror movies, be sure to check out Dave Dynasty and Ike Isaacs on the Listen to Their Screams Horror Podcast. It is available on all podcast platforms and on social media at Listen to Screams. That is Listen, the number two in Screams. All right, we're back here on Wrestling Nostalgia, and we're being joined by noted wrestling historic, historian and author Tim Hornbaker. Tim, how are you doing? 
I'm doing very well, Dave. How are you? I am good. I'm glad to be on here talking to you. Uh, you've been a guest I've, I've wanted to have for a long time and, and pick your brain a little bit, but now's the perfect time because you just had a book released called The Last Real World Champion, The Legacy of the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Uh, so it's a perfect time, and we'll get to the book. We'll talk about it. Before we dive into that, I, I always like to ask people, how did you first become a fan of professional wrestling? That's a great question. I think it was around, actually, the late 80s, and I was uh, a, a young man, probably 12, 13 years old at the time, and I caught the WWF on uh, NBC. I think it was Saturday night's main event. And uh, was just, you know, attracted to the colorfulness, the, 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 the skill of the performers, and just the, the whole circus, I would say, of the, what the WWF was presenting at the time. So as a young man, I kind of gotten, I got drawn in. And then, of course, as soon as I learned about the NWA and other uh, promotions and then the history of the business, uh, I, was, I was just, you know, addicted to it at that point. So it's, it was an interesting way to enter the business, but I think uh, at that point, as soon as I caught it on TV, I, I had the bug. Yeah, the, the 80s were a, they were a great time to, to get interested. And I know everybody talks about the WWE, but there, there was so much wrestling on TV at that time uh, between, you know, world class and the NWA and, and, and W of course, WWF. And uh, I, mean, I mean, there was so much. And then as it went into the nineties, you know, when ECW came and there was just so much stuff out there to watch such a variety. It was kind of a, it was a good time to become a fan and really absorb yourself with that stuff. Absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. You know, if you were, looking to, you know, you get, you kind of get hooked on something initially, and then you learn that there's more going on and you branch out and you try to catch more and more on TV. Or even if, you know, there's a regional promotion in your area, you definitely, you get that bug and then you, you want to learn more. I was buying the, the newsstand magazines and I was, you know, reading about, you know, the Bon Ericks and, you know, reading about different territories and even international wrestling and, you know, you really get a sense during that time, and even now, you know, for, for young people who get a, a taste of wrestling, you, you get a little bit of interest, but then you see that there's a, a way, there's a much larger picture uh, out there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And um, I, I, I'm, well, some people would call it a little bit obsessive with things. When I get interested in something, I, I man, I die full bore, and I want everything, yeah. and I, I want to know everything, I want to trace back, and I, I think that's the historian the researcher, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have a lot of those similar characteristics with what you do. Um, let's talk Absolutely. specifically real quick about your new book on Flair. Um, it's a great book, but there have, there have been other books on Flair, right? He wrote a book. There's, I'm sure there's other things out there. Why did you feel that there needed to be another one, a, a more definitive telling of, of Ric Flair? That's a great question. Yeah, he's actually contributed to two autobiographies. There was one that he did by himself, and then he did another one with Charlotte. And then there's been several mainstream documentaries. And, yeah, there's been an endless amount of information on Ric Flair. And I knew once I had decided to pick this uh, topic, and I'll say that I, I picked it because I was interested in Flair and actually doing it from a historical point of view. I, I know these other uh, projects had tried to tell his story, and but there was always kind of, um, you know, a, a certain perspective from it, I would say. And, right. and mine – Mine was going to be a historical perspective. I wanted to tackle it from uh, the work of a researcher and a historian who was not going to be biased and was going to be independent and was going to utilize every means to tell the story accurately as possible. 
So I, I think that kind of drove me, and I knew that there were going to be challenges because of there's, there's so much material on him, but I felt confident that I was going to be able to do it in a new way with a new voice and give readers something that uh, something a little bit more detail and facts that they might not have gotten somewhere else. Yeah, and I think you accomplished it. I think I think your book is the definitive book on Flair, and, and, and it's very impartial, right? And it's very. And, and how hard is it to do that when you're writing not just the Flair, but any book to write a biography to put aside your personal feeling? Because I mean, you obviously you watched a lot of Flair. You were during that time period. Yeah. How how hard is it to put aside those personal feelings and experiences when writing about someone to be impartial? It's it's very hard. I mean, I think that is. I mean, you know, I want to say it's something that I've learned. I'm going to say that it's been hard through the years because I've written about, you know, Ty Cobb, the, the mm-hmm. baseball legend, and Shoeless Joe Jackson. And it's hard not to be, you know, caught up in the, the fantasy of, of what these guys did. You know, baseball and, you know, baseball is different from wrestling, but there's kind of the same because they, you build up these legends yep. and it's, you know, you get caught up in it and you, you see the movies and you almost kind of become part, you know, they become you know, bigger than life in a way. And, and Rick Flair is no different. So I definitely had to separate the fan in me from the historian to write this book and to ensure that it stayed true to form. And I think one of the challenges early on that you kind of have to develop is you have to develop a voice for the project. You kind of have to develop the narrative of how you're building it. And then you, you want to carry it through each chapter to the very end. And I think, again, it's hard work and it's something that I, I have developed through the years. But again, this this was not something that was easy. It definitely took multiple years to, to complete and to ensure that I had the right voice throughout. And of course, my editor at ECW Press was always, uh, Michael Holmes was always there to, to lend a hand. But um, it definitely was a challenge. I, I will give you that 100%. Yeah. Yeah, and I like I like that you draw kind of some parallels between the baseball and and, and wrestling. I, I I understand there's two different things, but I'm a huge baseball fan as well. And I think I think part of my mutual love is it's just that that history and the folk tales and how certain things uh, have grown into these uh you know these pop culture myths in both of them and, and these yeah. tales and it's 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 almost mystical, right? It's it's these you know like bedtime yeah. stories or something, and it's so fascinating and uh. And I, I'm glad there's. I mean, I'm sure there's other people too, but I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. That I'm not the only one <laughs> who has that no, no, that mutual sure. drive with both those. Um, and, and like I said, the book's fantastic. And I obviously, I don't want you to give everything away because I want people to go out and buy this book and experience it for themselves. Uh, but can you give us just a little bit of taste? What is something you discovered in your research that surprised you? And I, again, I don't want you to give away any anything major or any you know that would dissuade someone from buying the book. But but can you give it just maybe a little snippet, a little taste? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there are, there are different aspects, I'll say, throughout Flair's life that kind of, in the very beginning when I started doing this project, that kind of had me scratch my head. And as I went into the research pro- uh, process itself, that I focused and honed in on, uh, especially everything revolving around his professional debut. And for, for, for as long as I remember, probably going back to you know reading the after mags in the 80s, there's always been a set date that there's always been for, for Flair's pro debut. And it, it's continued. It was, it was repeated in Flair's autobiography. And uh, for me, it was a challenge to confirm that because I wanted to ensure this book's accuracy. And I wasn't just going to rely on what's been said. So I wanted to go as far as I could to confirm that. And I'm going to tell you, Dave, that I, I went as far as I could. I mean, I, I dug in, in old newspapers. I contacted people. I, 
I really like I, I did as much as I possibly could to try to, to narrow down and, and confirm uh, the date that was December 10th, 1972. But I'll, I'll leave kind of this open ended and say that uh, as readers will find out that everything is not what it seems. Mm-hmm. And in uh, some things in history are lost to time. I'll just put right. it that way. Yeah. So I went as far as I could to confirm that specific thing. Uh, and uh, readers will just have to uh, to read and, and find out the rest. Yeah, I, I mean that's one of the hurdles when you look at things. You know, from the you know whatever the sixties, seventies, fifties, wherever it is. Back that guys were uh, guys would work little shows under different names just to get experience and stuff. And these things are not they're not documented, right? There's not a whole lot Literally. out there, so it's 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 hard yep. to pinpoint some of this down. I mean, they're you know who knows? Sometimes you know a debut date is sometimes just the debut of a character per se, when that guy actually worked, you know, many shows before, uh, you know, kind of honing the craft and, and flares. There's a lot, I think there's a lot to flair like that, right? There's, it's a man of, you know, he's got a great, all these stories and these almost folk tales like we talked about. And, uh, but he's a man who personally, he, he rarely separates the man from the performer. That's what he grew into. And through your research, did, did this hold true? Did you find that many of flares faults and different things and in his career, uh, it, it kind of stems from him not being able to turn that character off and, and to, to be living Ric Flair. Yes, absolutely. I, I think he did live the nature boy, Ric Flair, as you said, he lived the gimmick as everyone has always referenced. He wanted to be, you know, live that, that rock and roll lifestyle, traveling the globe, you know, wearing the finest suits, the Rolexes, the alligator shoes. Uh, he did it all. And uh, no one in, in professional wrestling did it better or to the extent that he did it. And when he was closing down the bars at night and then he would go on, on WTBS in the morning and, and brag about it. I mean, he really wasn't really telling a story. He was admitting to what he was doing. And, and it was that was part of his lifestyle. And that was part of what Ric Flair did. So and yeah, if you if you want to take it a step further and examine some of the, the difficulties he had in his personal life, uh, he's had multiple divorces. He's had financial problems. All of these things can be traced one way or another, and I can't, I'm not a psychologist, I can't Mm. proclaim that I know definitively what was going on at the time, and I don't think anybody can say that one way or another, but yeah, from what has come out and what is in the public record, it is clear that, you know, the money problems and whatnot, you know, there there was the overspending and uh, maybe, um, you know, the infidelity on the road and, and whatnot. And again, I'm not uh, professing to know everything about those details, but yes, his living the gimmick and living that lifestyle did impact his his personal life. Yeah, it's it's almost like the whole chicken and the egg, right? I mean, what what stemmed what? Was it the success that he was tasting that that you know that stemmed his lifestyle, or <laughs> or, or was it the lifestyle him being so invested in it that helped him succeed? Right? I mean, it's it's which fed what? Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to tell. That, yeah. It is. It is. And, you know, I, I think once he got taste of what wrestling was going to provide, you know, and the kind of money that he was making, he was making money so easily. I think yeah. he found success once he I think once he left the AWA and then he went to Charlotte, the money was flowing very easily at that point. And it's hard not to be overtaken, especially if you have that kind of a personality, you're charismatic, you, you love the party. So he you know, he's making all that money. He's a young man. He has the attention of every woman in the area that loves wrestling. So he gets that bug from an early 
you know, point in his lifetime and he just rolls with it. And I don't think he stopped to even today, you know, yeah. it's just the Ric Flair nature boy lifestyle continues even today. Yeah. And you, you see that so much, not just in wrestling, but just, you know, and all throughout society, when someone has some success, makes some money, they, they often don't pause to think of the future. Right. And they just think, Oh, this will always, always be right. I'll always be successful. Yeah. I'll always be on top. This money will always be coming in. So I don't need to worry about that. And then they're, you know, so they burn through it and, Typically, there comes a day when you know they hit a wall, and that that stuff happens, and uh, yeah, and, and there you have issues. Um, but you also you also have many other great books, right? We talked about about wrestling and baseball, and uh, I mean there are lots of other definitive biographies, like you said, Ty Cop, Shields, Joe Jackson. But then you also have one on on Buddy Rogers. Uh, lots of great books. When, when do you have a method to choosing your your writing topics, or is it just something that interests you and you think I'm going to dive into that? Uh, you know that's a good question. I think I have you know, a, a mental list of, of people or topics that I've, I've been interested in or that I am particularly interested in and they stay with me. And I think once I am done with a book and I kind of have to assess what I'm looking at. And, uh, I think with the buddy Rogers book, I'm going to say that that was more of a personal interest because I knew it was a difficult topic and I knew there was a lot about him that hasn't, hadn't been told. And, um, and I, I, to be honest with you, Dave, I didn't even know if I could do that book yeah. because there were parts of Buddy's, Buddy Rogers' life that was so mysterious and so, you know, so many question marks. And I needed so much, uh, I'm not going to say I needed so much assistance, but I needed to connect with certain people. And mm-hmm. I will say that had I not connected with Bobby Davis, that book would never have been written. So, I mean, and if, and if I did complete it, let me just say if I did go forward with it to the end, it wouldn't have had the authenticity that it needed that I think that it now has because Bobby Davis knew Buddy Rogers so well. So I, I think, you know, with that book, that had its certain challenges. Death of the Territories, um, again, was another complicated book because it was covering so much ground. So I, I think I've definitely taken on some challenging projects that I knew were going to take multiple years in doing. And even now, now that I've completed this, even though I, I've already – I've announced and I probably, you know, you were going to ask me or, you know, we were going to get to the point where what was next, what's going to be next. Yeah, I, I am. You know, I, I, I don't want to stifle that question. We can we can talk about it more, but I'm going to take a little bit of a break. But right. even now, I have ideas of what I would like to do. You know what I mean? And yeah. there are there's topics and, and, you know, organizations I'd like to write about. So it does it does happen. You get to this, you finish a book. You want to you want to come up with your next topic, and then you think about how can you get it done. Yeah, and I, I'd like to do I'd like to dive into your process just a little bit because again I I I'm I'm trying to be a historian, right? There's things I try to research. I I focus a lot on the WWA Indianapolis Midwest stuff. I'm a big fan of that, and and I try to dive into that stuff. When when you have a topic and, and you want to dive into this research, where where do you begin? Where do you feel is the the best way to start to dive into your research topic? Okay, well, let's yeah, let's let's go into this because I'm interested in talking about this with you. And let me just say, Dave, I have a lot of respect for you and, and the work you do. Oh, well, thank and you. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, to say to start off, I mean, the first thing I actually do when I come up with a, a title or I come up with a an idea, I actually take a single notebook, and on each page of the notebook, I, I have a heading, and I say, you know, vital statistics, and that will include like birthdays and uh, you know you know, where they lived and family members. And then the next page I'll have, you know, 
parents. And then the next page I'll have, you know, and then I'll get to like a page that has pro debut on it, or I'll have, you know, uh, important dates to remember. Like it's literally each page in this notebook will have a specific event or something that I, I want to hone in on. Mm-hmm. And I'll literally go through this one notebook and I will fill it up with information on each particular topic that I am striving to research. So, and then, you know, you know, if you talk about the background of, of an individual, you know, you, you want to get into the genealogy. So I'll, I'll do that. I'll spend time on that. And then the pro debut like we talked about, or I'll, I'll talk about that or I'll find an article on Buddy Rogers that mentioned that he broke his arm and so-and-so town or he wrestled in Mexico. So there you go. Did he wrestle in Mexico or didn't he? So I, I literally researched it, tried to figure out if he wrestled in Mexico, and it turned out that I could never prove that he did. So that was something that was, you know, crossed off my, my list of things to talk about in the book itself. So the, the research process literally is going through individual items one at a time to see if I could verify it and then building upon it and uh, taking it as far as I could go in terms of research. Yeah. So what do you do then? Like if, if you're digging into something, like, and you mentioned this earlier, right? There's some things that are just lost to time. When you're re- researching something and you're trying to find that information, you're trying to either prove or disprove something, say the, the Buddy Rogers wrestling in Mexico, when do you know to, to call it, to say ah, it's just not possible? Right. I mean, or there's because with me, there's always that lingering thing in the back of my head of, man, if I just keep plugging a little bit, maybe I'll find it. Right. And it's hard to, to let that go. Yeah. And I, you know what, you know, you say that now and I guess, I guess I, I, I guess it's spurring something in me and saying, OK, maybe I did, wasn't able to find it. But maybe, yes, you're right. Maybe that is true, that there is still a possibility that he could have wrestled in Mexico. So let me phrase it this way. You get to the point after spending two or three years on something, and you you, do, you devote as much time as you can. If it's one year, or pe- researchers do things differently. So if, the, if a project takes three years or two years, and you've given all you can, and you've searched high and low, and you've contacted people, you've searched newspapers, or you've done everything humanly possible, at that point as a historian, you could say, all right, well, I've spent two years looking as far as I can go and doing everything I could possibly do. I wasn't able to prove that he wrestled in Mexico. So I think maybe that's how I would better phrase it than saying, no, he definitively didn't wrestle in Mexico. So it's a matter of going as far as you can go at the time. And if it comes out later that he did and there's definitive proof, you could say that's amazing. I'm glad that's solved. Uh, at the time, with my the resources I had available to me, I wasn't able to prove it. But I'm glad something that came along later that was able to answer that question. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever do you ever set any uh, self-impose a deadline for yourself for research, or is that all dictated by you, you know you're the publisher and everything else? Or do you, after a while, do you just tell yourself, man, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta leave this, gotta move on to the next? If I, if I, you know, how hard is it to to do that? Yeah, I agree. Uh, I it is hard, and I'm gonna say that there's been two different instances because each of my books have been published through a traditional publishing house. Uh, either Skyhorse Publishing or uh, ECW Press, all except for one, and that was with Scott Teal's Crowbar Press, and that was Master of the Ring, my Buddy Rogers book. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say that with my Buddy Rogers book, I actually wrote that book, and it was during the pandemic, most mostly during the pandemic, a little bit before, and I wrote that on my own timetable. I didn't have any deadlines, so I did that 
without any pressure of a looming deadline. With the other two publishing houses, you, I signed a contract. I had a publishing uh, deadline that I had to meet. So there was, oh, of course, I have crunch time. Oh, my God, you know, look, you know, I, the book is due in June. You know, I, I have to turn it in. So I'm going to be honest with you. Last year, I was going through some health problems. And uh, my deadline was, I believe, June 15th. And I, I had just gotten a bunch of documentation that I needed to finish the book. And I honestly, I couldn't do it on time. So I had to reach out to ECW Press and say, I need more time. Uh, they were more than understanding. They, they understand that things happen. And I, you know, I described what was going on. And they gave me another month. And they would have actually given me more time. But at that point, you're just pushing back the release date. If we wouldn't have gotten it done at that point, it wouldn't have come out as it is now. It probably would have been pushed back to 2024. But, yeah, having the publisher set deadlines, you, you have more pressure, more stress, and that's mainly what I've dealt with. Yeah. Yeah, so when, when you look back, like on the Flare book, do you, do you, did you, when you turned it in, you said you asked for a little more time. Did, did you feel this is complete? Did you find all – pretty much all that you wanted or did you feel like you had to make any consolations or, I mean, how, how comfortable were you with what you handed in? I, I think I'm just going to say, I think I had given it everything I possibly could. I think that I, I really worked hard on it. I know I've given it my all. And even till now, maybe there are some things if I really examine it that I would do differently, but I'm very proud of this book. I feel like it's the culmination of all of my years building up and, and to, to this moment and it, Dave, if you look back at my NWA book, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to be the first one to say that the narrative, the, the chronological story, the things that would have made that book top tier are just not there. I think the information is there. I think it's uh, a book that I'm extremely proud of. It was my first book. But had I done it chronologically with a narrative, with endnotes, I think the book would have been my greatest triumph because it was just so much there, so much information, so many different characters. Uh, I even thought about trying to, you know, rework that book to include these different aspects. So now here we are all these years later, Ric Flair, I'm able to encompass a chronological uh, order here with the storytelling, a stronger narrative, telling the story actually better, that it flows better and complete with the end notes that the the publisher was so great to include so i think even though yeah there are probably things that i'm going to look back and say oh i wish i did this different or i could have been stronger in this area or i could have added more detail i'm very proud of what i've been able to accomplish at this point and um and it's just been a lot of years of trial and error i'll, I'll definitely admit that yeah and you should be right it's a great book and i, I feel i feel i'm again i'm not in your shoes i don't have that experience but I feel like there's always going to be that, right? When you turn in a book, there's always going to be something where you're like, you can't find everything, right? You can't 100% yeah. find every detail you would like to have. So there's always going to be some, you know, some give and take, something you have to kind of give up on. I mean, it, I, I just don't, I don't see that there would ever be, you know, it'd be hard to do, have a, de- you know, definitive 100% factual, <laughs> complete book. Yeah, it'd be impossible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think every writer is going to have that where you try your best. And I, I just, I think there has to be a moment where you, at the end of the day, at the end of two years or one year or three years, whatever you put into a project, I think you have to admit to yourself that you've done as much as you can to that point, and then it is what it is. I mean, I, I can look back on even the Ric Flair book and, and say, man, you know, this is bothering me. But I, I really feel in my heart right now that I did everything I could to tell a good, uh, authentic, true story that I hope fans will enjoy, 
and I, I can't really give any more at this stage of my life. You know, yeah. I, I it just you, you draw a line and you just say you, you can't do any more. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and like you said, you've done all this, the research into the NWA and now the Flair. Uh, Flair is a performer. Do you feel that he was the perfect bridge between the old school approach and, and the old school territory mindset of the NWA and then the, the expansion and the boom where as it transitioned? I mean, was he, he to me, he was one of the perfect guys to, to bridge that gap and, and to kind of cross over from one to the other. Yeah, that's that's a, a perfect perspective because I, I think that's that's a great way to look at it because as a wrestler, as a performer, as a uh, guy who can, was the total package in a lot of ways, he wasn't just uh, you know the saw product of the steroid era. He was a guy who fit the mold of the territories and then kind of bridged it through the cable TV boom and then onto the Monday Night Wars. So yeah, he definitely was a guy the epitome of a, uh, a wrestler who can go in the ring and go 60 minutes and then give a good interview. And he represented wrestling well for those aspects, you know, the charisma, the charisma, the, the personality, and then the ability to give a good match. So I, I definitely agree with you. He was a, a good guy to, to kind of bridge that gap between the territories and, you know, the cable TV era. Yeah. Yeah. I was always, I was always a flair fan. I, I always, I always leaned towards the hills when I watched wrestling, but, you know, I always liked Flair, right? He's one of those guys you watch, you're like, man, that's that's what a wrestler is. That's that's fun. That's what I'd like to be. Definitely. And, uh, you know, he played it up. <laughs> and uh, and it was, you know, there was that the believability about it, right? While, while he was bigger than life, it wasn't, un, you know, it wasn't unbelievable that a guy that was, was yeah. had that much money and, and lived that kind of lifestyle. Well, definitely. And then, you know, just as a comparison, I mean, if you look at what the WWF was doing at the time, you know, with these, with Hulk Hogan, I mean, Hulk Hogan was a Superman type character. I mean, right. he wasn't, you know, take your vitamins and, you know, say your prayers. And, and that was wonderful. That appealed to a, a segment of the audience. But once you really get down to the bare bones of professional wrestling, Flair was more of the epitome of a, a, what a professional wrestler was. He could go in there and brawl with Terry Funk and, you know, do these different angles and then give a, a wild promo and talk about, you know, what he's doing in Space Mountain. And he just, he would make you laugh. And then he would get in the ring and then with the blood and the violence, you know, it would be, he just told, he had an ability to do the, to the gamut of what professional wrestling needed. And even up through the WCW era, when, when they let him do what he was good at doing and they weren't really stifling him, Flair was still just being Flair and he was delivering ratings and he was, he was still a very, you know, he would enter the arena to a million woos and he was still very popular so he just had it, and I, and again, I'm going to say it to this day, he, he still has it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He's, I mean, definitely one of those guys could work with anyone, make anybody look good, uh, could play, you know, do the baby face, do the heel, he, work whatever, whatever needed to be done, right? Whether Whatever type of match you needed, yeah. whatever type of promo you needed, he could, he could do it. And that, for a traveling world champion, which when he began, and, and up to what, you know, the TV champion, uh, on the boom of the cable, uh, it's all perfect, yeah. right? It fits perfect. That's that's what you need is a versatile guy who can fill whatever is needed to fill. Absolutely. And I think that's why they ran with him for so long because not only was he able to do it like you said, he he could travel the globe. He had the conditioning, you know. So let's talk, you know, let's say he had the ability to meet anyone, uh, of wrestlers of any different kind of style or ability but then he was able to do it night after night after night. And yeah. even on days that he had scheduled off, 
if they called him and said, hey, we need you in Kansas City on this date, and he was supposed to be home with his family in Charlotte, well, Flair was a machine. He, mm-hmm. he could do it. He could make that date. He could appear in Tokyo. He could bounce back and forth and wrestle you know, many different uh, opponents and still always deliver a, a good match and also deliver at the box office. Yeah, it's it's a marvel all the stories you hear of of you know him with the late nights and uh, and the drinking late and being up and partying and then, but he was the first guy there at six a.m. ready to catch a flight you know full of energy and and you know totally in character ready to roll, and it's just yeah remarkable. I mean, it it, it is like the man was perfectly built for that business. It is is That's, for whatever yeah. reason, and it, you really get a sense. Uh, of, uh, that he, you know, he has, he, he loved the business. He, he just, he just loved it. And I could even say, you know, through his return for his last match uh, last year in Nashville, while you know, he is older and it is uh, not the best thing that you would recommend, Flair loves the business. He wants yeah. to be around it. He, his podcast, his, uh, his personal appearances, he, uh, he wants to be around the public. He wants to be talking about the business, giving his opinion and, uh, and we, uh, you know, because he's a legend, you know, he should be given every right to do whatever he wants. Yeah. You know, he listen to the man, you know, he's got something to say. Let's, let's appreciate it and, uh, give him the respect that, that he's due. Yeah, absolutely. There's, I mean, so many guys who, you know, broke their back to, to build this business and to get it where it's at. But, but flares that one of those handful that has crossed over into pop culture, he's, you know, so many, virtually everybody knows who Ric Flair is, right? And they know the woo, and they know the yeah. styling and profiling. He is, he's crossed to a, the next level, right, with a handful of guys that uh, even non-wrestling fans know who Ric Flair is. And um, that's, that's something to be said. Yeah, yeah. It, and that doesn't happen. You know, that doesn't happen very often. I mean, unless you are like John Cena and you, you are, uh, you know, any of the guys, Batista, these guys that have crossed over into the mainstream in terms of TV and movies. Yeah. You know, for for Flair, I mean, he didn't do it that way. Nope. I mean, it literally was because of his wrestling and his uh, his personality, and you know, just all of the different facets of his you know his charisma. And then, you know, I think people watching the, the snippets on uh, on social media and YouTube, you know, it's hard not to be fascinated by his 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 promos and his confidence and his just his overall ability. And I think a younger generation of fans are being built right now in front of our eyes because of what Flair did, you know, even in the, the 70s, 80s, 90s, and, and 2000s. Yeah, I mean, his, his name is always, it's always sold, right? I mean, I know now, I don't even know what all he's doing. He's, I've, I've seen that he's been in rap videos, and he's got, you know, I think an energy drink, and I think he's uh, dipping his toe into the cannabis business, and it is yeah. all these things because... I mean, his name is a product, right? His name is a, 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 a whatever, you know, he could put that name on those things and, and give it some instant, uh, bring it up to a certain level. So, you know, that's something to be said uh, for him, you know, being able to sell his name, market his name and do these. I mean, right. I'm sure, you know, he had no say in what's in these energy drinks, but just him standing there doing the woo, putting his name on it is going to help him. And, you know, and he'll he'll make a few bucks and that's, that's the way it is. And then that's the way it should be. I mean, I think yeah. once you get to a certain spot in life, you know, he's in his 70s. He's been in the public eye for 50 years. You know, he deserves to have uh, whatever he can achieve yeah. at this point. And uh, I know that there have, you know, been naysayers uh, about what he's done, The la- you know, criticism about his last match. And, 
Yeah. Just, you know, Flair's going to do his thing. You know, he's just going to get out there and do his thing. And uh, I don't think that any, you know, no one should to impede that. You know, he's he, for, for wrestling fans and for what he's earned, the multiple halls of fame and his legacy. Uh, I think Flair deserves to have uh, any platform that he can uh, achieve at this point. Yeah, I agree. There's so many people are just overly, so overly critical. I mean, these these are essentially his retirement years. He can go out, he can go out there and do whatever project he wants, have fun, enjoy life, and he is he has worked himself to a point where he's in a position that he can use his name to make some money and have some fun. Why why shouldn't he? Right? These, he's he's now enjoying the fruits of all those years on the road and 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 everything he did, and uh, and. That's fine. Why? Why is that? I, people are they're so overly critical about this stuff, and it mar- I marvel at that because you know back in the day guys were wrestling up into their fifties and whatever, <laughs> whatever else, and it wasn't an uncommon yeah. thing like it is now. Yep. And um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, Flair Flair is one of a kind. Uh, I don't I don't think there'll ever be another guy like him. I don't, I just don't you know the business won't allow it. It's it's a different business now, so there can't be it is another career and another guy like Ric Flair. And no matter how big somebody gets, it's just it can't be the same. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be different. And I mean, that's why, you know, I, I kind of, you know, the title of the book, The Last Real World Champion. Yeah. <clears throat> I say that because, you know, there's never going to be a guy that, does, you know, travels the globe and, and there's never going to be a territorial system again. And Flair literally was the last man to to take that seriously and to to be recognized in all these different regions. And while champions now, you know, WWE, AEW, you know, they, they might travel the globe, but they're performing on specific dates that are set well in advance. And yeah. there's really no deviation of it. There's no traveling to the extent that they used to. Yeah. So, yeah, wrestling has definitely evolved. And, and we are where we are in, in this evolution of the world and life and professional wrestling. And there's never going to be a guy who is challenged to the extent that Ric Flair was. And there's never going to be a guy that could handle it to the extent that Ric Flair did. So, yeah, he is the, the last man that will ever have done that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and, uh, like you said earlier, you said you're taking a, taking a break from writing. And I completely understand. You said you've had some health concerns. And, and it's, I understand. You know, you've, you've invested so much time into these books, one right after another. It's, you you got to take a break, right? you got to pause. you got to breathe. you got to oh, – there's other facets of your life, right? Tim Hornbecker is not just a writer. I mean, I'm sure you, you, yeah, know, you have, a, have yeah. a family and all these other things. And um, but you know, like you said, I it is refreshing to know that you're not tabling it completely, right? That there will you do have projects in mind for the future, and, and hopefully you'll be back writing, um, because yes. you do great work. And I, I mean, you know, I, and I'm, I'm not speaking for you, Tim, but I, I venture to guess that even as you step back, there'll still be a, a touch of research that you'll do here and there, right? I mean, I'm, I don't think you can completely give up that bug of, of that curiosity. Oh. You're right. You're right. hundred percent. There's no way I'm going to, to be completely removed from what I've given so much to and, and just the love I have for research and wrestling and, and trying to tell stories that have never been told. And, you know, I, I have a, a one really good idea. I, I'm going to say I have two really good ideas for a book, uh, for books. And uh, I am itching to, I'm not going to say right now, but at some point, uh, start kind of putting more feelers out there to see how the, those two would evolve and see which one would be a better fit for me. But yeah, as I said, you know, for right now, I don't want to make any big statements. I, I kind of just need yeah. to take some time to, to recover and, and spend some time with the family. And uh, I think at some point, you know, yeah, I, I will do a small amount of research here and there. I'm going to be available on social media. I, I 
hopefully me and you will still be corresponding and sure, you know yeah. we'll yeah so there's always going to be projects and stuff that i could help out with and um i definitely want to make myself available to those uh to that extent but yeah in terms of spending 24 hours a day uh working at a, on a one set project that's definitely something down the line yeah of course i mean it, it right and you're you deserve that, right? That's that's part of it. No one wants because if you keep at it, you're going to burn out, and that's going to affect the work that you're putting out there. So it's you know you got to you've got to give space uh, to breathe. There's got to be work life balance, and um, and and you mentioned social media, and and I, I highly urge people to follow you on social media. I know you've been here lately sharing a, lots of your your research and things you've come across for the Flare book, and they're fascinating things to see. And um, so, how can people? What's the best way and best avenues and platforms for them to follow you on social media and see some of this stuff? Absolutely. I think my main go-to right now has been Twitter. I, I started on Instagram, but I haven't really posted much. But my Twitter is uh, twitter.com slash Tim Hornbaker. Uh, I also have a, a, an old website that I haven't updated in a long time, but you can still find my contact information. It's legacyofwrestling.com. So I, you, you could either even go on Google and type in contact Tim Hornbaker, and my email address will pop right up there. So I, I'm not hard to find if anyone wants to reach out and ask a question about any of my books or wants to, uh, you know, correspond with me in any way. I, I'm available and I'm happy to talk with anyone about uh, any of my books or specifically the the Ric Flair book that's coming out. So uh, I'm I'm happy to uh, to correspond with anyone. Yeah, and I'll put a link in the show notes here for, to your Twitter because, like I said, you're sharing lots of lots of cool documents, lots of things you've come across in your research, and, and you point out, and it's very important to point out, you're you're just putting these out there for the sake of information, right? You're not trying to uh, to put a spin on it, or not trying to to no, say, "Oh, yes. look at look at what Flair did." Or and that's not that's not the point. It's just it's documentation. It's it's research. It's fascinating stuff. And hopefully, you know, people aren't going to be overly critical and, and just take it for what it is and, and a slice of history. Um, but and, yeah, and that that's, I appreciate you bringing that up because yeah, that's one of the things that I, I definitely want to point out that. This book never really, it never was going to be a, a, a stationalistic uh, expose on Flair's life. You know, if you're familiar with my work, I tend to, I, I, I only focus on the history and the facts and the truth. I'm, I'm never out there to put anything to make anybody look bad or to, you know, the facts are what they are, yeah. you know, and the, the documents that I'm sharing on social media are all just to represent the facts and represent the book itself and kind of just show and shine a light to on some of the information that I utilized in, in producing this book. So I'm glad you pointed out that out, uh, Dave. Thank you very much. Yeah. You know, like I said, I, I'm fascinated. Whenever I see things like that, it's just, it's fascinating to me, right? It's, it's just so, it's so great to see that stuff. And again, the book is called The Last World, World Champion, The Legacy of Nature Boy Ric Flair. It is out now, just came out, uh, I believe today, as the day we're recording this. Uh, so it is, it is yeah. fresh. It's available at all book retailers, uh, online uh, and everything else, uh, in brick and mortar, uh, so you know, go out there and get yourself a copy. I highly recommend it. Um, Tim, again, thanks for coming on. You're a guy, like I said, that I've wanted to talk to for a long time uh, over a myriad of things. But this is the perfect time with this book coming out. Uh, you know, and and like I said, I was I was always a fan of Flair, fan of Flair, excuse me. And um, this this book is wonderful. It's fascinating, and I'm glad you came on to talk about it and talk about your process a little bit too, because I'm I'm always fascinated by that as I do my own research. Thank you, Dave. I really appreciate it. Anytime you want to talk, I'm available, and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with me today. Thank you very much. Absolutely. So, uh, again, go get that book, everybody, and uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back uh, here on Wrestling Nostalgia, so hang in there. 
Ladies and gentlemen, Wrestling Fans International Association is back. That's right, the premier fan club association of the 1970s and 1980s has been revived and is back in business. Join today. It's free at the WFIA.org. That's T-H-E-W-F-I-A.org. You can also join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash groups slash WFIA 1969. All right, and there you have it. Thank you to Tim Hornbaker for coming on the show and speaking with me. It was definitely an honor and a pleasure. Once again, go out and get all of Tim's books, including the new one that he has released on Ric Flair. You will not be disappointed. His writing and research are second to none. They are top, they're just top-notch books, period. Not even, not even if you break it down into wrestling books. They are just wonderfully, wonderfully crafted books. So go check those out. Uh, thank you for listening to us. And whatever podcast platform you are listening, make sure you subscribe to us. Uh, and if possible on that platform, give us a rating and review. Uh, those ratings, those reviews help us with those algorithms so that when people are listening to other wrestling podcasts, we come up in that suggested uh, listen category. So it helps us out if you would take a moment and do that. Uh, while you're out there, also follow us on social media. You can look up Rassle Nostalgia on all kinds of platforms. We're on Facebook. Instagram, and Threads. Uh, again, that is Rassle Nostalgia, R-A-S-S-L-E Nostalgia. And then you can follow me personally uh, on Twitter at The Dave Dynasty. So go check those things out. I'm putting lots of cool posts about history, lots of pictures, clips, other things that uh, we don't necessarily talk about here on the shows. Uh, so go follow us on those platforms. I'm sure you will find something enjoyable that I post. And if you would like to support us, the best way to do that is to go buy a shirt. We have all kinds of cool designs. Uh, Guarantee you there's one there that you're going to like. Go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Dynasty and order your shirt today. Uh, remember, guys, as you're out there, we talk about there's all this turmoil and how wacky wrestling is and everything that's going on. I just remember, you know, hey, it's cool to follow along and and, and enjoy the, the news and the drama a little bit, right? But, but when push comes to shove, daily, day-to-day, just remember to support what you like. Don't bother to cut down and bash what you don't. Uh, you know, that's what I try to do on here, right? I'm a big fan of Tim Hornbaker and his work and his books. So that's why I like to have him on and chat with him, right? Uh, so so do that, right? Support the things you like. Just the things you don't that are other people are fans. I'll just let it roll off and let it slide on by. Uh, thank you again for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another new episode. But until then, wherever you go and whatever you do, be good, be safe, and keep on growing. <laughs>